Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I know you have written a lot in uh, in your column recently about poetry, and I think it's uh, it's a maybe a fun topic to talk about to dig in a little bit more. Uh, you know the usual how how you stumbled into this, but also um, how it's been meaningful to you, and and who knows maybe our our listener will. We'll gain some insight from it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, not sure where we'll end up, but let's let's talk a little bit about poetry. Sure. Well, first of all, uh, play a little game with me. When you hear the word poetry, uh, or you think about poetry, what's the first sort of image that pops into your imagination? I, I actually, I I think literally like a piece of paper. I. I picture when I was in I think in middle school and we would read poetry and I was like I don't get it um, but that's, that's <laughs> I, I see that piece of paper on my desk and I'm like that's that's actually what pops into my head <laughs> great that's a great answer I hadn't had uh, a big question mark or even a, a head scratcher I, I call it the you know especially when we're in high school we're trying to be cool tough studs um, poetry is for pansies mm-hmm. or uh, sure. it just yeah, they often say there are things, yeah, the soft science is a good way to put it. Um, and also, we, um, especially in the Western world, I can't speak to the rest of the world, but it's nice but not necessary yeah. to become, uh, you know, the uh, church fathers wrote that the glory of God is a fully formed human being. And I would I would think for most of the Christians I know, uh, poetry doesn't play a part in being a fully formed human being. Yeah, right. So it's nice, but not necessary. I know it's, this drove our kids crazy, but we used to say, and as we know, the word nice means silly, stupid, or wanton. <laughs> and so uh, poetry is for pansies are just, it, it's a big question mark. And yeah, you, so you read it in school, which I, which I you know, I lament the teachers that didn't frame it in any way they would find it oh this is necessary for becoming a fully formed human being now i've granted you in your middle school that's language just above and beyond goes over their head but uh, hopefully here uh, most of our listeners are not um, middle school kids i don't know <laughs> <laughs> that might be the educational level but we'll not go there today okay poetry yeah, the, the inception of this is um, Ephesians 3, where Paul says, uh, we are God's handiwork, creating for Christ Jesus. And he's got these, hit, and, and Paul's also uncovering the hidden mysteries of how we're God's handiwork. And the Greek word there is poema, where we get poem from. So literally, Paul is writing that we are God's poem, we're his poetry. So we are his poetry in motion. 
And uh, so I began to ponder that. And there's nothing, I mean, nothing original there. There's been uh, many who have written on this. But first of all, we're, we're God's poetry. Now, when you, when you think of that, what sort of images pop into your imagination? I'm, I think that connects more closely to just art in general for me and, and craft, you know, mm-hmm. um, those, those, that area. Yes. And if we're being crafted, and of course, God delights in, in, uh, in giving us some of that responsibility and being crafted. So it's not just when, when, when people often say, for example, it's all about grace. I say, mm, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. So it's a both and. Faith is a, is a, not only a widening of our imaginations, but it's a widening of our responsibilities. On the earth, God made human beings, humankind, responsible in a way that the animals are not. So uh, a fox eats a squirrel, or whatever foxes eat, a rodent. That's not murder. It kills it. But if we kill the human being, that's not kill, that's murder. And the uh, Ten Commandments, one of them reads literally in Hebrew, thou shalt not murder. And so we are responsible in a moral way, in a moral sense that uh, the animal kingdom is not. So we're, we're being crafted and we participate in that uh, crafting. And in that way, our, uh, I like to say, our body of work, literally our physical body that includes, our body of work is poetry. Now, because of that, we ought to understand that requires an understanding of what's called human nature. In other words, God's nature, God is love, and out of that emanates all these other attributes, all of which, by the way, are not arms and legs attached to God. They're not post-it notes attached to him. Here, we used to you know, teach this. Here are the attributes of God, and we sort of bullet point them. And we turn God into a text. God is love, and therefore, love exists. No, if there was no God, there'd be no love in the universe. But because God loves, He cannot, He cannot be anything but love. And love always seeks an object, and all God always seeks to, or love always seeks to expand the enjoyment of another. And so one of the great beauties of the Christian faith is the triune God. Now when we say triune, what does that mean, Pat? Three. Three person. Keep going if you're going to be a good Orthodox Christian. Oh, man. Let's not go back to the third century dispute in the church. Father, Father, Son, Spirit, all all one. That's right. Sharing one nature. So uh, the mystery of the triune, this is important because Islam would vehemently disagree. Allah is great, but Allah is one. In Judeo-Christian, yes, God is one nature. Three persons sharing one nature, in one nature. So the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what you have then is a God, he is love, because love must have an object. If Islam is right, and only Allah exists, who did Allah love for all eternity before he created? Uh, himself, I guess. Mm, yeah, that doesn't work real well. Love, yes, you love yourself, but it must always have an object. Mm. And so, yes, you can be the subject of the love, but then there must be an object. And so the Father loves the Son and loves the Spirit as the Spirit loves the Father and the Son as the Son loves the Spirit and the Father. In the mystery of God, they are one, but they are also three persons. And you can't even, you shouldn't even use the word also. It's not a tachon, it's not an add-on. It is seamless for all eternity. And so you have the Father, Son, Spirit, and love seeks to expand, always seeks to expand. And hence the reason we exist, humanity, humankind rather, as it's now called, used to be called mankind, but fine, humankind, is to further expand that circle of love. So we're running ahead, but we're going to come back to the important point here for this little podcast is in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tips the hand as to what the mystery is all heading toward. And his whole point is, is, he, is he says, this bride whom the Father, Son, and Spirit are wedding their love with, this bride who is betrothed, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I said, I betrothed to Christ that I might present you as a pure virgin to, to our husband, Christ, this bride will become one with Christ, and Christ will roll the whole thing into the, turns all things over to the Father, and everything is all rolled up so that he then uses this phrase so that all is in all. Wow, what a picture. We're all, where this all heads is we are folded in. We are made seamless in this eternal mystery of the Godhead. We are wed. We are literally, it is often thought, a picture of the experience of orgasm, of climax, of consummation, which the word con, summit, together at the summit is a picture of eternity. Now, if you have all that in mind, or maybe you want to take a breather for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just gave you something that ought to make you feel. Whew. I mean, okay, before I turn the page, exactly. And here's why. So for poetry, and we participate in that, and become a fully formed human being, the glory of God, that would require you understand what does it mean to be human? In fact, that it means you would need to understand how what it means to be human operates. So it's called human nature. What is human nature? How do humans operate? Hmm. Which raises this intriguing point. So, as you know, we're to steward our time, 
talents and treasure. Time, treasure. We sort of have ideas about what that is. When you hear the word to or steward our talents, our talent, what comes to your mind? What do you imagine when you hear we're to steward our talents? Naturally, just ability. Um, mm -hmm. So the giftings that maybe one has. Mm -hmm. So I'll name a few. Um, let's see. I know it's early in the morning yeah. here. And I'm, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Any talent could be a, a, maybe athletic ability, um, intellect, um, any leadership. Any, yeah. Yeah. Administration. Sure. Yeah. Well, here's a fascinating thing. So many have written in, in sacramental traditions that the greatest talent that you're to steward, because there's a, the parable of the talents, remember, Jesus gives one person five. One, two, uh, gives one talent to one. And it's always been uh, believed, or in fact, Scripture teaches us, you have at least one talent. Everyone does, every Christian. You may have five. And they're given each according to your ability. So it's, this isn't favoritism. It's simply saying, as, as Lewis, C.S. Lewis rightly pointed out, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And uh, so, you know, everything is equal, everything. Now, we're equally made in the image of likeness of God, but we're not given equal capabilities. So you get talents according to your capacity or your capabilities. But everyone has at least one. Now, here's a, here's a intriguing notion that I agree with. That many have written that the, great, the, the, the greatest talent that we steward is our humanity. Hmm. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, that's very much over my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not really. If we are God's poetry, that is becoming a fully formed human being, that requires an understanding of our humanity or we could call not only our body but how our body operates not just physiology physiology but spiritually how does human nature operate how that's what it means to steward our greatest talent and if everyone has at least one talent that means i think Every Christian has at least this talent to steward, how they understand human nature, how it operates. And, and then I'm guessing not just understand, but how, how they embody or live out that. That's right. That's right. And so it's a both end. You have to be cognizant of it. And yet it's most fully formed in embodying it exactly so it involves your body and so when someone imagines their talents leadership so on and so forth uh, gifting uh, no one when i do this imagination exercise ever draws their human body but literally yeah. the way you steward your body is is dependent upon or is an outworking of your understanding of what does it mean to be human? What is human nature? Go ahead. Well, 
I was going to say this starts to align very much with Charles Taylor, what what he is talking about and how yeah. I understood what he was saying. And, and, and actually, I think Lewis as well in the discarded image where we went from this idea that we belong to to some uh, some ordering of reality. So like our pursuit of knowledge is to discover the alignment of the heavens and where we fit in with that, right? There's, exactly. there's, there's this ordering of reality. We are to align ourselves with that. And then the modern thought is that is hogwash. You know, there's, there's no ordering. It's all, it's chaos. It's random events that have created us. And precisely, I think that's kind of what, what is foreign about what you're saying is this idea of human nature. If you, if it's not in that frame, of understanding our alignment with the heavens, then it doesn't make sense. But that's that's pretty fundamental. And I think what poetry, I'm guessing, starts to do to that. And I'm, I'm guessing because I, I, I haven't experienced this with poetry, but I have experienced this with art in general, or maybe, maybe paintings, where in the past I had looked for meaning you know, clear. What what did the artist intend to convey? What was the what was the intellectual message they were sending to uh, to simply being and just almost almost experiencing beauty for the sake of beauty? Because I think it starts to point us to that beyond that that quote unquote ordering of the heavens um, in in a way that I just did not comprehend before. That's right. Well, it's really well said. Hey, you three listeners, uh, you know, hit pause and replay that again. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, you know, Lewis said it well. If you only see to the beauty in the piece of art, it, it becomes a dumb idol. It's often I've heard people say in the past, you know, I really, uh, they might go to a, uh, I don't want to pick any tradition, but it, what we call a thick liturgy tradition, creeds and covenants and, and, um, um, reciting of prayers and they say I love the liturgy well I get that and I, I do too but uh, but when you ask them why there's your giveaway because mm. they say what because it's beautiful they're loving the beauty but they're not seeing through it to capital B beauty and so Lewis said then it becomes a dumb idol Ritual becomes ritualism. Tradition becomes traditionalism, which Chesterton playfully called the dead faith of living saints. Tradition is the living faith of dead saints. And so, yeah, we're not, we aren't taught to see through these things as we're not taught to see through human nature to what it actually depicts. And poetry is what it depicts. And it's and this is why, Pat, your summary was brilliant, because poetry, as we know, initially was sung. So, for example, uh, you have um, the Proverbs. They were sung. And and they, and Gregory actually, to, to simplify the songs, Pope Gregory made them chants. You have Gre Gregorian chants because of that. And those, those are sung responsibly response responsively in churches to, to this day hmm. but um if they're sung that's they were that was because poetry was to be enchanting 
in chant, in song. And the really great music goes deeper into our soul. There's actually neurological evidence in that neuroscience. Music goes deeper into parts of your brain and produces richer, stronger neural pathways. That's why you can retrieve a song so easily from, for me, from 1960, almost. May not remember all the words, but actually the words do tend to be more clingy in your memory because of, of uh, it's, it's connected to a song. So the Psalms were sung. So it's what's enchanting. Now, what's, once you understand that poetry is, is enchanting, then you go back to the Proverbs, and then you sing that part where there's four things that are really enchanting and wondrous, and the fourth is beyond description, but it's the most wondrous thing on the planet in creation, and it's the way of a man with a woman. And so poetry, if, if we see ourselves as God's poetry, we understand the most wondrous poetry is the way of a man with a woman. Because if you see through that, what does that depict? The gospel. There you go. The gospel is the most wondrous thing. It's really good news. The Father, Son, Spirit, wedding their love by having the Son be generated, begotten, as Son, and incarnated in the flesh. And hence the mystery of the Gospel is the Word became flesh. And hence we read, again, Paul, that our body was created, exists for the Lord and the Lord's body for us. And so the greatest talent we steward is our body, which is dependent upon then our understanding of why we have a body and how it operates. That's called human nature. Ooh, it's a lot for 5.30 in the morning. Well, we're going to end it here and pick it up next week. If, As they used to say down south, if the Lord wills and the creek don't rise. And uh, we will chew on this, what we've just shared this morning, listener. And then here we go. So next week, we're going to pick it up here. In fact, there have been three great debates in church history. Church history, 2,000 years. Three great debates. The first debate was over Jesus' nature. That was the controversy that Arius raised in the 300s. And he was saying Jesus was not generated, begotten by the Father, but was created by the Father as Son. And if you're created, then you're not God. But the whole, the whole controversy 
in the in the first couple centuries was how can he what's how can he be fully god and fully man not you know half god half man fully god fully man and as you know that's that um first great debate was settled with the council of nicaea and the nicene creed so first great debate jesus nature the second great debate is around the uh, around the 1000s and that's the holy spirit's nature and that's a debate that we're not going to get into here but i just want you to see there's been three great debates first jesus nature second debate was the holy spirit's nature which came out it wasn't settled as much as it led to the to the great schism it's called between the east and the west and those two the orthodox today and the roman catholic do seek to reconcile to this day as one of the popes put it so that the church might breathe with both lungs i love that phrase so you have the first debate jesus nature second debate 1000 1056 rather holy spirit's nature the third great debate 1500 is human nature yeah now, listener, that's a biggie. First one, settled. Second one, 1056, schism, which seek, the two seek to reconcile to this day. Third, human nature, it has led to an explosion of individualized takes on the gospel where the essence of becoming a follower of Christ is I've got to be free to be me and to conjure up my own understanding of scripture and a church that fits that definition. 